Hello and welcome to the Green Techpreneur podcast. In this episode, I'll be speaking to Jeff Kaliski, CEO of Cedars, an equity crowdfunding platform that allows investors to invest in ambitious startups. Under Jeff's leadership, Cedars has helped startups raise a total of £2.3 billion pounds with 1,870 deals funded so far. Today, we'll break down climate tech investment trends and share some tips for how to launch your own fundraiser. We'll also talk about the biggest challenges that Cedars faced on the road to success. Jeff, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Marianne, uh, thank you. It's a, it's a delight, especially now, given um, the, the growing importance of climate as seen by um, everyone. So, so to have a voice um, is something that's very important to us. Yeah, it's uh, it's a, a fast growing sector, and I'll be very interested to learn more about what you're seeing in terms of climate climate tech trends. But first, can we get into a bit of background about Cedars? Where did the idea for setting up Cedars come from? What would you say have been keys to 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 making the platform a success? And what were some challenges that you faced on the way? Uh, sure. Um... Uh, that represents a lot, a lot of work along the way. Um, I mean, the, the idea really had its genesis um, uh, uh, back in um, about twelve years ago, uh, when peer-to-peer funding, um, peer-to-peer lending, I guess, really uh, was growing significantly. And so, the idea that technology could, the internet could democratize lending, um, became, I guess, the uh, the beginnings of now applying that to equity and to entrepreneurs and to you know this this really hard to reach expensive um, illiquid asset class um, which has been kind of the bastion of uh, as many would say uh, the elite um, and really hadn't changed in over a hundred years so so that opportunity to kind of redefine um, a sector that really hadn't changed much since um, you know somebody who was trying to uh, invest in ships going out to, you know, import spices from abroad would go to Mayfair and find an investor. Uh, and, um, and you know, 100 years later, an investor looking to fund their startup would go to Mayfair. And so there was really that opportunity to, you know, to really open open the market up. And um, uh, and now, twelve years later, um, we believe we've <laughs> the world looks somewhat different. Um, so we're happy to be able to play a role. Um, so that that's really the the, the origin story. Um, in in terms of, you know, I guess some of the key success um, can connect to some of the challenges. And you asked me, you know, some of the, what some of the biggest challenges are. And I'd say something that's really quite different about challenges for this industry. One of the big challenges was in many ways being accepted by the industry itself. Now, in most in most entrepreneurial stories where founders are disrupting a market, they're actually not interested in being accepted by the incumbents because actually they're there to do battle with the incumbents. Um, investing is very different in the sense that it, it defines in some ways co-opetition. And so a lot of the you know founders get funding from multiple sources um, and often in the same rounds because you have many people who believe in them from the big institutions to the retail investor. And so you know a lot a lot of the deals that we do, um, in fact increasingly so, we participate alongside venture capital, alongside private equity, alongside angels. 
And so therefore we need to be accepted as a um, uh, as an equal um, or value add platform, not just capital. And I would say that it probably was a tarnished view of crowdfunding because it was the retail investor and um, you know, not necessarily professional investors. So building that credibility was one of the fundamental hurdles to overcome. Uh, and that took time and it took proof. Um, and, and now, you know, we're in a very different world where we, you know, have conversations with, uh, you know, some of the top institutions uh, here in the UK, uh, now that we're part of a global business uh, in the US and Europe. So it's uh, probably that was the hardest uh, challenge uh, because it took time, because it was reliant on relationships, um, because it was reliant on proof. Um, and, um, and so we're very, very pleased to, to, to now be here um, with a lot of funds who are very active in climate, um, uh, now being able to uh, open their doors uh, to the retail investor for the things that they see that, that also support this industry. So, you know, cracking that was a key to success um, and it also was one of the biggest challenges. Mm. And what types of startups and fundraisers have you seen succeed on the platform? Um, interestingly, we've had probably over over 17 different sectors represented across um, uh, all the entrepreneurs who come to us. And so it's, it's often a question, which is, you know, which are these sectors that you fund and actually it, pretty much everything, you know, from, you know, we talk about climate tech, but uh, data analytics, uh, consumer products, food and beverage, um, uh, and there isn't any one sector that represents more than about 12% of the total. So it's, it is, it is quite broad. That said, you know, this, this conversation is, is very relevant because the fastest growing sector right now is, um, is climate tech is energy is sustainability as a category. Wow. Uh, so, you know, we're very excited to be able to kind of play a leading role in giving a voice to many entrepreneurs who have a passion for making a change in this sector who uh, otherwise would find it difficult to, um, to raise capital. So, it, you know, it is across the board, um, you know, in sectors like food and beverage are probably uh, the largest um, still today, um, uh, but the fastest growing is sustainability. Wow, that's, um, yeah, I find that actually very interesting because I, obviously, I, I've heard that renewable energy is an outlier and is doing extremely well now in the, within the, the energy crisis. And there's a lot more imp impetus on climate tech in general than there was in the past. But to see, you know, a platform like Cedars actually say that you're also seeing climate tech as, as your fastest growth sector is really really good news um so can you describe the process that you have for selecting companies to help them launch on cedars uh sure um i think we we see businesses that have like different levels of i guess ability um resources in supporting their own fundraise um from uh, marketing to legal to um uh, to just the operational um, uh, access to, to to capital, and so you know we will step in and help with each of those to a point. Some of those we do absolutely as part of the raise. Some of those are extra services. So, for example, marketing is something that 
um, uh, a lot of companies will um, seek to have us prepare a marketing strategy for them because in, in many ways, I mean, you really have three types of funding rounds that that come to us. Some are purely capital. They know what they, they know what they've got. This is really just about supporting the business growth. Um, some are uh, very much, um, they have the capital or the access to it. Really what they want to do is they want to use this um, to create brand ambassadors, to actually turn customers into evangelists of who they are, um, make them more connected to who they are. Um, and in some cases to also acquire new customers um, and new members of their community um, to bring them on board. Um, and um, uh, and then some actually for, you know, for probably the, the majority of them, it's really both. And that's why what we do is, is so powerful because it's, it's both capital and it's that access to, um, to creating a, a community, a much more connected community. Um, and so that community dimension becomes a really important part of making a round successful. Mm. Um, uh, and in that sense, you know, we have um, we have made sure to build the capability to sit alongside the founder to connect with that community. And I think one of the really nice things about the way we've chosen to do um, uh, fundraising, um, crowdfunding, is that we, we maintain a relationship with the business for the life of the investment. Uh, and as such, through our platform, they continue to communicate to um, to those uh, investors. And so there's, um, I'm looking forward to some of the stories that are going to come out as, um, as some of these climate entrepreneurs, uh, engage more and more with, with those communities, but, you know, a, a small story in, um, in food and beverage, which was, was quite exciting. We had a, a small, um, a group of founders who put together uh, a business around ice cream. Uh, they'd recently won a contract with Waitrose, and uh, but it's a small business. A lot of these are you know small teams, and so there's no way they could actually see how that contract was rolling out across all the Waitrose stores across the UK. So they um, sent, they gave their investors who came in through Cedars a mission, and that mission was the next time you go to your local Waitrose, please take a photo of the ice creams on the shelf, uh, because we'd like to know that it is on the top shelf and the label is facing forward which is part of the contract. Mm -hmm. And they got photos from all across the UK. And so three things happened. You know, they got photos. The second thing was their, their community of now investors and customers felt very connected to and helpful to the business that they were backing. And the third thing is they probably bought ice cream on that trip. So, on the, you know, this, 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 absolute connection to their investor base to support them um, when they came to raise capital again um, you know they were very supported by their existing and then managed to acquire I think they doubled their um, uh, their investor base and therefore that uh, community um, uh, and they and they went on to have um, uh, a very you know very successful and um, uh, uh, and, and sold their business about I guess five years later um, uh, very successfully. So, you know, I'm looking forward to that, some of those stories of connection between uh, climate founders, uh, clean energy founders, um, and, and their communities. I think um, uh, Ripple is a great one. Uh, Sarah America, uh, the founder, and really about democratizing uh, wind energy. Um, and um, uh, and she is somebody who really has been a pioneer 
um, uh, in that space. So uh, that's one where her community has come back again and again. And I think one of the really exciting things, not to take your question too far, is yeah. that climate tech, and I guess this is why you're in it, it's, it's a secular trend. Like it's not going away. <laughs> it's, it's only building momentum. So it's just another reason why we're pretty excited about being being a party, party to it. Yeah, well, it, it can't go away, can it? If it does, then we're all doomed. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I just um, I just did some research and wrote an article recently about the ozone layer. It's actually it's recovered because of this treaty that 197 countries signed sort of 20 to 30 years ago. But if that hadn't happened, because countries agreed to ban um, chemicals, certain types of chemicals that we were using that were damaging the ozone layer. But if that hadn't happened, today the world would be 25% hotter. So, I mean, and and you can only imagine what what the repercussions of that would have been like. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of examples now of if, if we can see you know, thankfully, at, at least the way that we've already been saving ourselves through past action on climate. But if we don't continue and we don't stop some of these other major threats that we have on so many different levels in the world, we can face that kind of a situation, you know, again, within 20 years. <laughs> um, but it was devastating con- consequences. So yeah, they, there, there's only, there's definitely only forwards, um, onwards and upwards and forwards for for climate tech and and people taking climate action. I really, really loved that story about um, asking the investors to take photos of ice cream in the different supermarkets. I think it's a fantastic example of, of, of a way that sort of climate tech companies or startups in general can be more imaginative in how they engage the community and, and what they ask people to do, right? And then really ask people, take photos, you know, share stuff, tweet about us, get involved. And I think that that's a really, it's, it's a, it's a, it's an original story. I haven't heard of that kind of thing before. So um, yeah, I think that's, it's a really good takeaway, I guess, for the listeners is just to think more creatively about how to get your community involved. So just touching on this topic of community and using crowdfunding as a way to engage community, would you say that, it's more suited to B2C companies than B2B, right? Because B2C, that that is one of the big challenges is that unless you can really engage a community, it can be hard to launch. So um, do you see any difference there between companies coming on coming on the platform and, and using Cedars as a crowd fundraiser? Um, I, I, it's, it's definitely easier as a B2C business to tell your story in a way that's understandable. Um, uh, it's something that um, consumers can relate to. That said, actually, B2B represents 40% of what we do. Mm -hmm. So it is absolutely not exclusive. I mean, we've had very successful um, software accounting uh, companies raise capital, which, you know, accounting isn't very B2C as a a thing, Uh, harder thing to sell, uh, very successful. you know, and, and in many ways, you know, the domain we're talking about right now, um, you know, is it, it whilst it has a very strong emotional connection um, in a lot of the technologies that are being um, invested and explored, whether it's, um, uh, you know, the, the power of uh, that you can get from energy in, in the sea or or the sun. These are 
you know, limited uh, direct consumer uh, propositions. So I think one of the things that we're seeing and the reason part, part of the reason why um, uh, B2B is also successful is that um, increasingly uh, investors, particularly, I guess, millennials, Gen Z, are making uh, investment decisions uh, which also connect to, with who they are, where their values sit, the things that they're passionate about. Um, and so they really want to achieve both of those. And when you are crowdfunding, by definition, we are reaching a very broad group of people. So therefore, you will find segments who are absolutely passionate about, in this case, climate, or um, it, it might be um, uh, veganism, or it might be, um, uh, you know, data or accounting or whatever it is. And so what that allows us to do is to connect groups that otherwise wouldn't have known each other. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, in many ways, that is often something that founders come back to us and talk about, which is some of my community have opened the doors to business deals, to sales, to relationships that I would never have found on my own. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, when you have an investor community of 250, 500, 1,000, 4,000, you know, that, you know, there will be certain folks in that audience who will bring more to the table to you because they want to see you succeed um, and they will bring their network to you. And so, um, you know, from that perspective, um, you know, B2B and B2C are both very, very well represented. Um, the, the only tax, if you want to call it that, is the entrepreneur does need to tell their story well in B2B and, and find that connection. Um, uh, and that is something that, uh, that we will help with. And could you share three tips for how startups can share their story well and prepare to launch and find investors? Um, sure. I think, I mean, the first one is probably um, a... It's an, it, it, in many ways, it's something that, that sounds obvious, um, but you, we have often found that it's, it's somehow difficult, which is to, to really connect with the founder's existing network. So every founder has a network. Some are very broad because they're good at it, um, uh, at, at creating connections at community. But actually, that's a really important thing. And sometimes it's hard to reach out to family and friends to support you you know, on your journey, it's high risk, you, um, um, and, and kind of going through a structured exercise to kind of tap into that community as a beginning. In many ways, it's very difficult for the other, I guess, cohorts of investors to participate if they're not seeing the founder's own closest connections come in. Um, um, a common phrase that we hear from outside is if your friends and family won't back you, why are you looking to me? Um, it's a fair, it's a, it's a fair challenge. Um, and so in that sense, that's, um, uh, and it sounds obvious um, that it is something that in most cases through discussion, as we go through this with, with founders, uh, we end up being much more successful by kind of helping, helping that along. So the first is, 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 is very simply that. Um, uh, I think the second is, um, it is very much about um, the story being told um, uh, and, and, and how to do that and, and introductions to the right groups to do that. Um, so 
you know, we will have uh, groups who know, for example, if you're in a particular space, who the institutions that would also be interested in joining and anchoring around like that. But it's it, it's really trying to hone that story for the different audiences um, that you have. And, and again, that sounds perhaps an, an obvious step that all founders have to do anyway, um, but you're doing it in the context of a a broad crowd round um, and therefore it needs to be consumable at scale. Um, the point you made earlier is very important, you know, the use of social media, um, uh, connected networks, it, it can be very, very powerful. So um, that, that certainly would be, um, be the second thing. And, and then the third um, is, is really around the, um, the way you build momentum in a campaign. Um, and there's a set of steps that we, we will go through um, to make sure that as, as you kind of go through each wave of investor segments, you know, there's this kind of building momentum. You know, there's, there's a lot out there um for people to invest in there's a lot out there for for people to be distracted by especially in the social media context and so getting attention um is something that you know you you should manage um uh and and, and whilst it takes a lot of effort not surprisingly that actually the the construction of a campaign itself its sequencing is 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 really quite important um uh and again that's something that we uh that we that we help with so we've got um reach out to your own contacts and your immediate network and support first get them on board and that's something that you help startups with as well before you you take your business to the wider world and ask them to support you tell your story and you know learn how to to share it, I suppose, in, in, in such a way that the, the wider world can understand, right? Yeah. As well as maybe even have two to three different ways of telling it, depending on who you're, who mm -hmm. you're reaching out to, who your audience is. Uh, and then we have um, you harness your, your social media and your other networks and know how to grab attention and engage. Yeah, it's that, it's that sequencing. Yeah. You want to build momentum. Build momentum building. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Well, shout out to my green tech printer listeners. I can help you tell your story, get in touch <laughs> and uh, check out the website and leave an inquiry. That's one of the things that I do. Um, okay. So let's, let's move on to climate tech trends. You said it's the fastest growing sector. Can you tell me what you saw last year in 2022 and also just what you're what you're predicting as being fast growth areas for this year and and the future. Sure, I mean, you know, as, as we kind of touched on earlier, I think you know there's this overarching trend that you know we've seen, um, you know, in 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 Europe in particular, and you, you you've got these sort of two forces that are that are opposing each other. You've got on the one hand, you know, investment and innovation, and and in Europe especially. Um, uh, around pursuing uh, climate solutions. Equally, it's a, it's a difficult time because the recent S&P paper actually talked about almost a returning to a reliance on natural gas, coal, and nuclear energy. So you, you, you have these different forces. So what's interesting is you have at the high end, your sort of 
the private equities of the world kind of stepping into, I guess, big renewable energy type um, investments, climate tech and clean energy, that's where venture capital is playing. Uh, uh, and um, they are much more prepared to play the long game. The point we made earlier, I, this trend is not going away. It's, uh, it is, it, it's, it's only moving in one direction and therefore there will be returns. You just need to have a much more you know, patient outlook. And that's where, that's where venture capital has, you know, will come in. Um, so, you know, clean energy um, is a sector which grew um, over 2X for us um, uh, last year. Uh, probably 40% more investors came in uh, to clean energy than they did the year before. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, it's 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 tremendous, and and I think again, it that news spreads. You know, all each of those investors are themselves a storyteller to their network, right? So you know that only will accelerate. So companies like Ripple that I mentioned earlier, um, uh, QED Naval, um, who actually uh, you know look to take uh, seize the power from oceans, um, Solivus, which is um, around solar energy. Um, we recently, you know, and actually those are alumni businesses. Those are businesses who've raised with us um, uh, on multiple occasions um, very successfully. Um, Gazelle Wind Power, uh, as a, a, new, a new customer of ours, um, uh, recently raised over 3.8 million euros. Um, so those, you know, those are absolutely um, uh, growth areas. Uh, EVs is an area which is not surprisingly, um, growing. Um, uh, and, and actually, that's one which we've seen a lot broadly across Europe. Um, uh, a lot of uh, EV companies, uh, whether it's cars, bikes, um, boats, you know, electronic vehicles is just going to continue to grow. I think you know, that is another area which has um, got a lot of room for further innovation to drive that. So, so, so that's absolutely another um, uh, growth area. So, I think I think those are probably some of the the ones that that we've seen some of the, the most excitement, and and we're probably going to see another uh, spurt this year, particularly particularly around energy. I think. Yeah. So, I I was going to ask you what gives you hope for the future in the face of the climate emergency, but I I think you've just listed a few very good reasons. <laughs> yeah, and there's a meta point there, actually, Marianne, which is that, um, you know, it's one of the questions that I'm often asked over the years, whenever we get hit with headwinds, you know, yeah. whether, whether it was years ago when, you know, uh, when with the announcement of, you know, Brexit in the UK, for example, and like, what does that mean? Or whether it was, um, you know, the various points of, you know, recession that we've had or the pandemic. And there's one sort of you know, common truth. And that is uncertainty breeds entrepreneurship. Wow. Like it is, you know, it is one of the areas, whereas others need to batten down, you know, it is often when entrepreneurs are born. Um, in some cases, they're born um, because they have something that they, they want to do and say, and they see a problem because there are more there. And some is because actually necessity now creates, you know, meets opportunity. And then, and you know, we've seen a lot of that. And so it's very hard to not see um, in our world the birth of more entrepreneurs during difficult times. Um, you know, we've, we've seen it with the Ukraine war. 
yeah. uh, uh, outpouring of communities looking to solve problems, um, uh, get behind founders who um, have solutions to some of those problems. So, so in that, you know, I think you you asked at one point, you know, what what gives me hope? You know, it's that it's you know our entrepreneurship is is not something that's in decline. Um, yeah, that that that's a very positive takeaway, I guess, for for entrepreneurs. <laughs> <laughs> that you know yeah. this, this even though it, it it is more challenging you know there, there are also new opportunities to thrive and to build something innovative and just create some more some more solutions to some of these new challenges that uh we're seeing but i i do have to ask you just briefly because we you know we are in a, in a recession it, the, the macroeconomic outlook is still very tough and very bleak so um, have you seen, let's say, people who are who are not your traditional investors, but from the crowdfunding side, have you seen a bit of a, bit of a decline in investment coming in? Um, yeah, twenty twenty two was um, a year of obstacles. Uh, there, uh, there has been a decline in a number of uh, sectors um, that we've seen. Uh, there was a uh, uh, decline in investment uh, by a small amount, I think, overall. Um, but all interestingly, um, we sort of beat the market. So I think our decline was sort of held at kind of 10% or something like that. Whereas I think other venture capital markets more broadly are kind of closer to 30. Um, so, you know, actually the participation has been there. I mean, if, if I give you some numbers, you know, in 2022, we saw over 141,000 individual investments. Um, uh, 324 campaigns raised over half a billion pounds. That 324 campaigns is a growth on last year. So we served more entrepreneurs last year than we did the year before. Um, uh, 96 of those raised over a million. Um, uh, so there's, you know, there's activity there. Um, uh, in aggregate, I think one of the probably the biggest challenges, <clears throat> interestingly, was less our direct retail audience. It was more that founders were finding that the institutions were more timorous. They were um, uh, uh, their anchor rounds were a little bit smaller, um, uh, uh, partly down to also valuation declines where they don't want to give away too much equity, and so that reduction in the sort of uh, institutional side or anchoring side is kind of really was the difference. It wasn't really the retail participation. Mm. I um, guess that's 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 encouraging, probably for you know for people looking to fundraise. That if, if you diversify, maybe um, the people that you're going to, you know, uh, you you might have a bit of a, a better chance, um, despite the situation, the macroeconomic environment. Um, I, now, before you wrap up, I just want to ask you something that I ask all of my green techpreneur guests, and um, that is, who are your role models? Oh, goodness. <clears throat> who do you look to for, for inspiration? Um, so... It's hard, it's hard not to answer that question um, uh, without bringing... Um, probably both my parents into that, to that answer. Um, and actually, interestingly, I, I was thinking about um, this podcast uh, when I, when I, when you first reached out and I was thinking to myself, 
um, uh, my mother were passed away many years ago, would be very happy that we are having this conversation. Mm -hmm. um, she, you know, uh, you know, she was absolutely um, uh, a woman of uh, nature, of uh, the environment, of, um, you know, uh, supporting ecology. And, <laughs> and the fact that, that my professional life is intersecting with something that, you know, she spent so much time putting her uh, her love into um, uh, in the communities that she was part of. I think prob probably fills me with enough energy to kind of go through most obstacles. So um, uh, whilst that may not be uh, a, ce a celebrity role model, uh, it's certainly one that has played an important role in in, in who I am and um, and what motivates me to uh, to to keep to keep pushing on the things that um, that matter to me. Um, I think, uh, I, I, interestingly, although I've spent the last 20 years in startups, early stage growth, I started my life in um, very much a corporate context uh, in IBM, um, big at the time, 250,000 employee organization. Uh, and it was going through turmoil. Uh, there was, uh, in fact, IBM back, uh, when I was there in the early 90s, declared the largest ever loss ever by a company, which was 53 billion. And there are lots of companies that have far exceeded that loss since then, but that was significant. And a new CEO came in uh, by the name of Lou Gerstner. Uh, and uh, many saw that problem of saving IBM as an impossible task, as really what the only thing that you could do is to break it up into small units. Um, and I got to see his work from the inside. Um, and so in many ways, you know, someone wrestling an almost impossible corporate challenge um, uh, was was phenomenal to watch. Um, and I guess w without going into detail in some ways, you know, he was very much about we need to harness the power of all the parts of IBM to do something nobody else can do rather than take the easy path, which is break it up into separate units and everybody does their own thing. And again, this goes back to your point almost together. It's communities, you know, come together and integrate that becomes stronger than actually trying to break it up. And so that you know, that's tough tasks. And he was very much a, uh, you know, somebody who, um, who inspired me. Uh, well, uh, yeah. Thanks, Jeff. I think that's a that's a really nice point to to leave the the audience with. Again, is going back to community and learning how to harness harness the power of your community, whether it's looking for investment or in your own company. Absolutely. Um, 